Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. If you have a Bible with you, if you would, turn in the New Testament to the book of 1 Thessalonians. The book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. And look at chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now we have been doing a series within a series that uh, has really been going on since the fall. We are doing a set of sermons over our mission statement. Our mission statement is basically four phrases. Our church mission statement, some of you may know it, I hope you know it by now. But our church mission statement is we exist as a church to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ. By growing spiritually, by living authentically, and by participating in His purposes. That is how we want to go about living our life. Honoring His greatness, growing spiritually, living in an authentic way, and then participating in His purposes. And for each of these phrases, we've done a five-part series to sort of describe and elaborate a little more what we mean. And we are in the last, the fourth phrase which is uh, participating in his purposes, and we're on the third message. So let me just quickly just backtrack and let you know where we've, where we've come from. The first message we talked about in participating in his purposes, we asked the question, what are God's purposes for creating humanity and for creating us? I mean, do, God just, do we have God in our life just to make our life better and make us happy? Or is there something more, something bigger, something more significant about God's involvement in our life. And we find out there is. God created a humanity on a planet called Earth, and he had a beautiful garden that he had carved out for humanity to live in. It was paradise. And as he brought humanity to life, he created them in his own image, and he did something very, very spectacular. When Adam, uh, the first man, was created, he, the Bible says he breathed into him the breath of life. Adam was alive with God's life. He had incredible abilities, he had reasoning, he had capabilities that no other animal on earth had. He was distinct. And God gave him and his wife Eve a mandate. Some people call it the dominion mandate. But he told them to do basically three things. He said well, number one was to cultivate the paradise in which they live. They live in this beautiful garden. They were to cultivate it, take care of it, and enjoy it. And then he said the next thing for them to do was to multiply was to have more of them multiply. And then he said, go and expand. Go subdue the earth. Go have dominion. And the idea, many theologians think, is the idea is that the rest of the earth was not like Eden was. It, it was a mess. It may have been messed up. It may have been just untapped. Whatever it was. But the idea he's communicating is, I want you to go into the rest of the world and make it like the paradise in which you live in. It was to expand. It was to spread. And we know what happened in the story. They fell, and that purpose got eliminated. That, that purpose was somewhat mirrored uh, in the nation of Israel. But Jesus came, and one of the reasons Jesus came was to restore God's purposes to humanity. Now, last week, we, we talked about one of the most important uh, parts of that purpose. You know, Jesus wants, well, here's God's purpose basically, just to sum it up. It is the idea of taking the ideal of God and spreading it and expanding it. 
For Adam, it was making what was out there like what was in here. Jesus prayed a very powerful prayer in the Lord's Prayer. One of the sentences that he prayed was, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what he basically was saying is, I want what's happening in heaven to be happening here on earth. I want earth to mirror heaven. And that is sort of the, the, what our purpose here is to see the, the order and the wonder and the worship of God that exists in heaven, the allegiance to God that exists in heaven to exist here on earth and to spread it and expand it. And when Jesus talked about that, he talked about overcoming evil and overthrowing darkness. And uh, he, there's two vehicles that are critical in that job, two vehicles. The Bible mentions over and over again two vehicles in connection with this. Number one is the church. When Jesus first talked about the church, he said the gates of hell won't prevail against it. In Ephesians, when Paul talked about the church, he said the wisdom and the, 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 uh, the knowledge and the purposes of God are going to be named, made known to rulers and authorities, to spiritual darkness through the church. So the church is an instrument of God to really see his, these purposes of his, to see his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth really come about. Church is very critical to that. You know, and we, we talked about, you know, what a church is. And a church is basically a united group of believers. It's an united group of believers. When the Bible talks about the church, it talks about, it's like a, like a building being built together. In Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about that, the importance of, of us being joined together and locked together and united together. In Peter, when he talks about the church, he talks about the same thing. He literally says, come to God like a living stone, and you're being united and joined together. You know, a lot of people say things like, well, I don't believe in the organized church. And I always go, well, do you believe in the disorganized church? What kind of church do you believe in? The church is supposed to be organized. It's supposed to be united, and that organization is a volunteer organization. It is held together by want to from participants, not have to from employees. And it's very real, and it's very authentic. It's worship. It is really saying, God, I love you, when we join together and we say, hey, we want to unitedly do something in this community. When you ask people, what is the single most important thing for Christians to be focused on. You'll, you'll get a lot, of, a lot of responses. People will say things like, I, they think, you know, abortion is the most important thing for Christians to focus on. But it's not. Some will say, well, I think worship is the most important thing for Christians to focus on. But it's not. Some will say, I think racial issues and racial reconciliation is the most important thing for Christians to focus on. But it's not. Someone will say, I think preaching and teaching the Word of God is the most important thing for a church to focus on, but it's not. You know what the most important thing the church should focus on is? All of it, together. And that happens as we unite. The church should be concerned about its community. It should be concerned about racial justice and race relations. It should be concerned about preaching and teaching. It should be concerned about evangelism and children's ministry and youth ministry and reaching college students. But it's when we get fragmented into you know, these sort of niche areas and we are not united in a church body, we can really get 
imbalanced and unhealthy. So being a part of a church is very important. If you're not a part of a church, I encourage you to join one. Get involved in one, volunteer, contribute to a church's growth and expansion. It's very important. And the, the, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. So that's one of the vehicles. Now, the second vehicle, and the one I want to talk about this morning, is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel is a vehicle God uses to overthrow evil and see his kingdom come to the earth. The gospel. Now, what is the gospel? Well, we read a verse in our inspiration from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that kind of describes the gospel. The Bible says there that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. That is the gospel. That in, as, and through Jesus Christ, God brought the world, brought a world that was separated from him, brought a world that was fractured from him and his purposes. Through his work, he did everything he possibly could do to bring the world back to himself. He reconciled the entire world to himself. And it's a really powerful thing he says there. God is not counting people's sins against them anymore. Because the one who, was, who never knew sin became sin, that we might be righteous. God is not holding people's sins against them. And that's the message we preach. And it's when people believe that gospel, they are changed and transformed, and powerful things happen in their lives. You know, it is an awesome thing to think about the power of the gospel. We sometimes just lose it and forget it. That what God really did in, as, and through Jesus Christ to overthrow evil and just how powerful and awesome it was. And one of the most powerful and profound things about it is that a God who is almighty would choose to conquer evil in a manner of such weakness. And how it highlights how great he is and how powerful he is and how awesome he is. You know, we've heard of the news uh, the last month that Russia has invaded Ukraine. We've seen the images, we've seen the pictures, we've heard the stories how they've blown the place apart. And one of the things that I know the president of uh, Ukraine has called for is help and intervention from the West, and we've d done that in some ways. But what if our president sent over a half dozen soldiers, a half dozen soldiers, and said, oh, this will fix it. And those half so dozen soldiers went and literally ran the Russian army out of Ukraine. It would be awesome. Not the full force of the American military, but in weakness, in a, in a minute way. And this is what Jesus was. It was God in weakness. God is a human being. God is a baby. God who could be tempted. God who was limited and finite. And God who, who had a real genuine human experience. But in, as, and through him in this weak way, the, the power and the impact of it highlights the real power of God way more so than if God had just split open the heavens and come down and did something overwhelming. And this is what the gospel is. 
There, it, is, it is power in the weakness of God and how it's affected this world and how it's transformed the world and how it transforms others. And this is something that Paul was writing about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians is the really the first book written. I don't know if you've, it's not in that order, obviously, in the New Testament, but it was the first New Testament letter ever written. It was written in about 45 to 48 A.D., about 10 to 15 or so years after Jesus was here. It's a very, very recent uh, thing. And Paul's writing, and he's writing to a, a church uh, in a Greek city called Thessalonica, a big thriving city, a church he had come to, and he had started a church in there. And if you'll start and look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, excuse me, I said 4, I meant chapter 1, verse 4. Paul writes and he says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that God has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe sufferings with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has been made known everywhere. Therefore, we have nothing else to say. Now, Paul's writing to these believers. They're fairly new. They're fairly young in their faith. They're fairly new to Christianity, probably just a few years old. And he's writing to encourage them in their community and in their city. And he talks about his gospel to them. And he says this message that we, we talked about, as simple as it was, it came to you and it was powerful. It came with deep conviction. It transformed who you are. It was powerful. You know, last night, we, uh, Lisa and I had the privilege of attending a wedding of a, of a girl who uh, we actually, uh, from this city, we, we knew her well. She uh, uh, was a high school student. I grew up with both her parents in high school, and she, uh, you know, she had a real challenging upbringing. There was addiction. There was abandonment in her family. As a young teenage girl, she was just in a really, really bad spot. And while in high school, one of the girls that attended our church was also involved with Young Life uh, at Clark Central and met her shared the gospel with her, took her to a camp, and she became a Christian. She accepted Christ, and she got involved in our church. And she grew in her faith. And she had a lot of challenges, but she grew in her faith. And she kept living out her faith in a really powerful, profound way, very selfless way, year in, year out, growing, living, struggling, but fighting. And as she continued to grow and mature spiritually, you know, a year ago, she met a great guy, strong Christian guy, strong Christian family. And last night they were married, and it was just such a powerful wedding, such a special occasion. Christ was celebrated in such an awesome way. Several hundred people there. Over and over again, we're talking about just the, the, the power and presence of Christ in her life and in this couple's life. And, you know, there's a track laid out for girls that are coming from a situation like that. 
then have an abandonment and have addiction and have all kind of challenging situations in their family. There's, there's a track laid out, and there's, a, there's the way that usually turns out. But what happened? The gospel came in. Someone took her the gospel, and she believed it, and she walked it out, and her life was powerfully changed and transformed. And this is what Paul's talking about. There's something oh so powerful about the gospel. It changes lives. It changes destinations. It changes a course of things. Com stories are completely rewritten. Scripts are torn up. And new scripts are written. And this is what's and Paul's saying, this is what happened. Man, he says this, and, and he, he says something really profound and powerful. He said, the fact that, that, that you received the gospel, that it affected you this way so powerfully. He said, listen, let me tell you what that is. God has chosen you. I mean, God has chosen to, to write a new story. To do something different in your life than what was being done by society and what was being done by your past. He's got something new that's going on here and something a lot more powerful and a lot more riveting. God has chosen you. And he goes through here and he, he talks about you know, their faith and, and what they're doing. And he uses in verse 8 a really powerful concept. He talks about how they were sharing their faith how the gospel was prevailing in their lives and in their community. And he said, the word of God rang out from you. It rang out. And everybody, everywhere, knows what's happening in your life. It rang out. And back in those days, what they would do is when there was an alarm or there was some need, you know, kind of like when... In our day, when you have a tornado warning, you have that siren goes off. They had a, a loud bell they would, just, they would ring to basically say, this sound is louder and more distinct than every other sound you're hearing. And he said, just like an alarm is loud, it gets your attention, that when you hear that noise, it makes you stop. What's going on amongst you? Because of your belief in the gospel, is, is doing this in your community. It's very powerful. The gospel rang out. It was powerful. It was distinct. It was more noticeable than every other noise and every other sound going on in Thessalonica. Now, practically speaking, how can we, you and I, experience this? How can we experience the gospel going out powerfully in our communities? How can it happen? Well, I want to be real simple here with you. There's a couple things that I think are extremely important that if you and I will do, I think God will use us to impact lives for the gospel. Two things. And there's two Bible verses I want you to think of. You can write them down and you can look at them later. But one is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. And what happens in that verse? Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's teaching in verse 33 about how the kingdom of God spreads. And he says, here's how the kingdom of God spreads. It's literally like this. It's like a woman who has a big batch of dough. And she takes a little pinch of leaven. 
And she puts it in that dough, works it through the dough, until all the dough itself becomes leavened. Now, that was a practice very common in those days. So let me kind of explain to you what happens. In, back in the old days, if you wanted to have a bread that rises, you didn't want that flat kind of like a cracker. You don't want that kind of bread. You want real hearty kind of bread we like. You know, it's got air in it and it's got, it's lifting. Here's what you would do. You would have a, you may never eat bread after this, but I'm going to let you know what you can. There would be a, a batch of rotting dough, like literally rotting. And it was called leaven. And you could take a little bit of that rotting, bacterially infested dough and you would put it in a nice lump of dough. And you would work it around. You would work it into it. You know, and you, they call it kneading it. You'd get it you know, worked around, worked around. And what would happen is the bacteria in that rotting dough will go and spread throughout the good dough. And it'll spread and spread. And what happens is it will eat the dough that's good and then, forgive me for this, it will expel gas <laughs> over and over again. And what happens, that causes bread to rise. When you and I eat a sandwich, that's what, that's what happened. And Jesus is taking this example of how this little itty-bitty piece of, of leavened dough can go and it can spread and it can change and it can transform the whole batch. It's saying that's how the kingdom of God spreads. It gets into a batch and it spreads and it affects and it, it reaches out and it stretches and it extends and then it begins to, to make a difference. Now, here's what one thing you and I need to do. We need to think what are the lumps of dough, what are the batches of dough that I'm involved with? And what are, what are my batches of dough? What are, what are my worlds? Where am I? And I would think in terms of where you live, people around you. I would think in terms of the people you work with. I would think in terms of people in your families. I would think in terms, if you're a college student, your sororities, maybe a sports team that you play on, maybe a club you're involved with. But I would think, where am I naturally connected to people? Where are those places? Think about what they are. Think about who those people are. Because to me, that is where God wants to spread his kingdom through your life. It's to those people. They know what you're like. They know what you live like. They, have, they, have, they know who you are. You guys have conversations. It's through those people that God wants to do. I would identify, what are my lumps? What lumps of dough am I involved in? I could tell you so many stories of people who begin to pray for their fraternity or pray for their sports team or pray for their workplace, and God began to use them to spread the gospel there. I would think, who is there? And then the second thing I would do is I would pray for people in that, that, that were in my thing. You know, we have this bookmark. Let me see if I, I think I have one on me here. But we do this every year. And I always encourage you to do this. It's a bookmark 
that we have. You can get them out front. They have 12 little slots in the back where you can write people's names down. I do this at least every year. I'll write down who are 12 people on my heart that I want to share the gospel with this year. Who are people around me? Who are people that are you know, across the street? Who's by me? Who, who do I see at the gym when I work out? Who, whoever just comes to my mind, I will write those names down, and I'll pray for them. Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, he talked about, excuse me, chapter 10, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. He said, pray to the Lord to send laborers into the harvest. That's what you're doing. I'm just praying to the Lord. God, pray. And there's two prayers that I pray over these people. This is really practical. So just, you know, get this down. But there's a prayer in Colossians chapter 4. It's verse 3 through 4. Colossians 4, 3 through 4. And Paul's praying, and he asks for one thing. He says, pray for open doors. Pray for open doors. So every time I'm praying for these people, every day, I'm praying, God, give me an open door. Give me an open door. I want to pray for these people. Pray for an open door. Just That's all you do. Pray for an open door. And then there's a, pr there's a prayer in Ephesians chapter 6. It's verse 19 and 20, where Paul prays, I pray I be given utterance as I open my mouth to speak the word of God fearlessly. So I always pray for those two things. God, give me an open door and give me something to say. That's all it is. Give me an open door and give me something to say. And I want to tell you that God will, I, I, I just, I don't know how to say this. I know this is not a dramatic message and it's, not making you laugh and like normally, hopefully. But, but this, is a really, this is one of the most important things you can do is literally identify who is in my life. Who am I around? Who are people that I have natural conversations with? And begin to see that God maybe has placed you as a sort of like a missionary in that lump. You're like a missionary in your work. You're like a missionary in your neighborhood. You're like a missionary in a community you may be connected to, where you work or where you play. And begin to think about who are these people and identify them. Write them down. Pray for them. Cultivate relationships with people. And ask God for an open door to share your faith. And then ask God for boldness to share what he wants you to say. Very simple. But I, I promise you, if you will do that, God will use you powerfully. Listen, there's a real powerful passage in Luke chapter 10. Jesus just sent his disciples out to preach for the first time. They had never done this before. They're probably as scared as you and I. They go, and, and they went out and they, they shared the gospel. And when they came back, you could read this in Luke chapter 10. They were like, you know what they were like? They're like, oh my goodness, it worked. People listened. Stuff happened in people's lives. It was awesome. And you know what Jesus did? He did something he had never done anywhere else in the Bible. He jumped up and was full of joy. He was like a war cry. 
oh yeah, you know, just excited, exuberant. We all remember this, you know, in January when we were uh, when we won the national championship. You may have heard Georgia won the national championship uh, in January. And there's this one photo. It's the final kind of the, the the play. The game was over when our cornerback intercepted the pass and ran it back 80 yards. Oh, we do remember that, don't we? And well, yeah, sure, okay, thank you. you give a hand. But there's this picture of our coach, who is older guy, and he's a big guy. I'm not saying he's fat. He's just a big guy. And he is jumping off the ground about that. Do y'all see the picture? He's that high off the ground. This is what Jesus was doing. Do you know why Kirby Smart was doing that? Because he's going, it's over. With this, it's over. It's over. And what Jesus was doing with his disciples, he was saying, with this... Because you guys are proclaiming the gospel. You're experiencing what it can do in a life. It's over. He literally said, he he said, I see Satan falling from heaven like lightning. And you're going to tread all over him. This is literally what he said. There is a powerful moment. I want to say this to every one of you. I don't... You may be shy. You may be reserved. That's cool. Uh, Still, this is true for you. There is a powerful moment waiting for you and I when we cross that threshold and we share the gospel with others. A powerful moment. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, this is my food, man. He he would get in a conversation with a, a woman He was kind of in a bad situation. He shared the gospel with her. She got changed. His disciples came back. They said, what's been going on here? He goes, man, I've been eating food you don't know anything about. He said, my food is to do the will of God and finish his task. Man, I'm here to share the gospel, and I just got to do it, and I I am eating it up, man. You guys do not know what this is like. Paul said he didn't consider his life dear on any account that he might finish the task of testifying of the grace of God. Another place in Colossians 1, he talked about his mission is to present everybody complete in Christ, to share the gospel and see them accepted and see it unpacked in their lives. And he just said, well, this is my purpose. He said, and I labor with all his might that works so powerfully within me. Well, there's something really awesome you and I can experience when we cross that threshold and we begin to get involved in personally sharing the gospel with others. It is powerful. It makes our lives impactful in a very special and a very spectacular way. It is the food Jesus said, his food. It is, it is the moment of victory for, for every believer. And I want to encourage you to, to go for it. Go get it and do that. Again, I encourage you to take one of these. This is very simple. 
Go, think about who's in your life. Ask the Lord to give you some names. Write them down. Pray for those special people. And ask God to give you an open door and give you the words to say and watch great things happen. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel and its power. We thank you for the awesome way that you brought, that you initiated your kingdom coming to earth. I mean, you came as a man. You didn't come as an army. You didn't come as an invincible God. You just came as a man who was weak and who was human. You came as weak and as vulnerable as you possibly could. And you turned the world upside down. And as we sit here 2,000 years later, we see the power of God and we see the power of the gospel in history, we see it in our own lives, we see it in our community. God, I pray you'd use us powerfully in the lives and to touch those around us. Give us just eyes to see why we're here. Wake us up to our purpose. Wake us up to, to what is really important in this life. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would just give everybody here the, the grace to identify the special lives around them that you want to touch, people you're choosing to demonstrate your power in as I hear your word. We pray you just involve us in deeper ways in participating in this purpose of yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.